Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Music Business Podcast. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm good. What's up, Sam? Not much, man. Super excited to have our guest today, Matt Medved. Matt is the editor-in-chief at Spin. And prior to becoming the editor-in-chief at Spin, Matt founded Billboard Dance, which is the the vertical within Billboard focused on dance music. He also founded and helped create the the Billboard Dance 100, which is a data-driven list showcasing some of the best artists in the dance music world. Recently, they just released the, the Billboard Dance Power Players list, which showcases a lot of the the business leaders in the the dance world. So, um, and on top of all that too, I mean, Matt is also a DJ and producer on the side. I mean, he's building lots of traction and momentum around his DJ career, playing at some incredible shows around the world. So uh, really excited to dive into this episode. What'd you think, Jordan? Yeah, man, I think it's super interesting to hear somebody from such a, such a significant place in spin and in a general media company go through his process for how he chooses artists. I know a lot of artists, managers and artists will be glad to hear that. Um, how he went from Billboard Dance to Spin and his change of mindset, you know, what it's like managing people. So there's a lot to learn from. We've actually known him for a year and we've seen his growth from from Billboard Dance to to Spin. And it's super interesting and I'm super glad we get to explore it with you guys. Yeah, for sure. And it's also really cool to hear some of the his commentary around some of the higher level shifts in media and the value that getting media and getting press hits as an artist carries. Um, so I think all in all, I mean, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, Matt, welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Super excited to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm great. A little, a little wet. It was a little, little uh, flash rainstorm out there, but uh, no worse for wear. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks glad for Glad to have me. you. Yeah. Cool, man. So I know you're coming off a, a big month. I know you, you yeah. keep your hands uh, full. Yeah. Uh, what was it? What's it been like traveling? I know you had a couple gigs. How's the? How's it been? Look, it, it was a it was a full on month, like you said. Um, you know, uh, as as uh, as we were just discussing, uh, I made you know the transition uh, to editor in chief of Spin uh, from uh, head of dance and electronic for Billboard. Um, all the same company, so I still have responsibilities on on both sides. Especially for uh, the past month period, because we had our major tent poles for Billboard Dance, which were uh, the Billboard Dance issue, the print magazine issue, uh, Billboard Dance 100 artist rankings, and the, the Billboard Dance Power Players executives mm-hmm. list. Meantime, uh, a leadership transition and uh, the beginning, the first phase of a rebrand for Spin. So I was very busy for the past month. Um, we, we kicked off the rebrand for Spin at South by Southwest in Austin. And uh, then we did everything for Billboard Dance with our event um, for Billboard Dance 100 uh, in Miami. So uh, it, it, indeed, it was a lot of traveling, um, you know, uh, DJed here and there a little bit. Uh, and then I'm just glad to be back in New York. Um, I'm not going to Coachella for the first time in a, <laughs> in a number of years. I'm yeah. actually just excited to hone yeah. in and, and um, get some work done and get, get caught up. It's but it's a it's a it's an amazing feeling when you're like so excited about the you know the potential of your role and and the work you got you have you, that's ahead of you that you're actually like excited to just sort of like put the blinders on and dive into it which is how I feel right now so so what are some of the biggest changes that you've gone through 
from going from I guess from billboard to billboard within spin. I don't really know how the companies. Yeah, yeah. So just as a little bit of background, um, so uh, the Billboard Hollywood Reporter Media Group uh, acquired Spin, Stereo Gum, and Vibe in at uh, the end of 2016. And those are you know some storied uh, media franchises, and you know Spin was Spin was always my favorite publication growing up. Right. Like I remember, like my my dad um, was like a my dad's not a musician at all, but he's he like played a big role in my musical development. He like raised me on the Beatles, the Stones, the Doors, Pink Floyd. Like I was so lucky that I didn't even need to like think about like. I didn't even think about like discovering music as a kid because my dad just like it's like showed the me same the world. Thing with my dad too, he was yeah. a jazz musician, so I felt like I never really like chose to be in music. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm older now; it's my turn. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. like that's awesome. But like you know, I actually didn't get into jazz until later. But that was on. But like when I um what when I kind of reached a certain age, like and I like to joke, like I became like a sentient being, and I was like, oh, like I can make music discovery choices for myself um <laughs> spin was actually like spin magazine was like my that was kind of like my musical compass to be yeah, honest. Like yeah. that, that got me into like punk rock it got me into alt rock it got me into radiohead it got me into like so many bands that were really formative and it was actually really cool to like you know after once like once the the, the uh the talk started and then once it, it looked like it, it was gonna happen i went you know it, it, that was right around like before thanksgiving and so when I went home for Thanksgiving, it was awesome to like go to my room and like find all these old spin magazines there. Wow, and that's crazy. It was a lot of like a lot of memories and it was cool to go through it too. It, it gave me some ideas, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it is a big change. So, um, uh, you know, Billboard Dance, uh, I started that in 2015 and uh, that being like the, the dedicated dance and electronic music vertical at Billboard. Uh, and it's been amazing to see it scale from like a one man show to a, a team, you know, a lean team, but a, but still a team. And right. And uh, but that team wasn't as big as the team that I've inherited at Spin, which has been a really exciting uh, new new opportunity and new challenge just to, uh, you know, to um, be a manager for for a team, for a full editorial team, which has been really exciting and really rewarding. Uh, but you know, it's, it's also, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work and, and, uh, I've embraced that challenge. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons too, why I'm really excited to be, uh, back in New York and, and able to be present because, uh, that's very important when you're, when you're dealing with a leadership transition. Um, it's, oh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I don't know, but I, I would think being a leader is a little bit different than obviously, you know, working under, under one, because when I, when I mess up, for example, I'm like. I only really make a mistake in my career. Mm. You know what I mean? But you can mess up with someone else's career and then shit can just go haywire. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So now, you know, you have these respons you're That's responsible word, yeah. for other people's responsibility. Careers, you know, it's responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, with Billboard Dance, I mean, I, I am very fortunate. I was uh, I was given a lot of autonomy and I really did was able to operate pretty independently. And um, but it's it's been a really it's been a really great um growth experience to assume the mantle of editor-in-chief for a, for a team right. and uh and also make the case for change and uh it's been it, it's been really exciting because i've always felt that spin is one of the coolest and most iconic brands in music uh and i'm excited to you know there's been great work done in the past and i'm excited to help uh that great work uh, continue to grow and flourish and also reach, you know, the audience it deserves.
Can you just give a little context on like what you loved about Spin, what makes Spin unique and like what you see is, I mean, you mentioned sure. rebrand, like what's your vision for this next stage? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a long time Spin editor, Will Hermes, who I think he said it, like, I think he said it really well and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, you know, Spin the magazine, it, it got knackered one night, tattooed alternative on its ass and has had to live, <laughs> learn to live with it ever since. And I, I think it's a kind of a funny thing. It, it, the idea of, of this term of alternative, which it, you know, right. for better or for worse, it's been sort of saddled with uh, to a degree. And I've actually really embraced that, but I embrace it with the understanding that alternative in my eyes refers to an ethos and not a genre. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not, it, spin will not be, you know, uh, a, a, a publication that, that looks towards the past all the time. We are going to celebrate our legacy for sure. But in my eyes, there are alternative artists that we can support cross genre. Billie Eilish is an alternative pop artist to me, you know? Right. Uh, there are alternative hip hop artists. There are alternative electronic artists. There are, you know, there are, there are alternative artists across the board. That's actually a question I also wanted to ask you. Um, and then you can obviously resume what you're excited about for spin, but how is the way you think about music? How has that changed? That's great. I mean, look, to, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's spin is actually closer to my roots than right. Billboard Dance even was. Right. You know, uh, I, I grew up with, you know, like loving the bands that like spin covered, like, uh, Radiohead, Rancid, you know, the Green Day, um, a lot of these artists that were really formative in my development. So it's been actually really fun to kind of revisit that. I think nostalgia is a really powerful force. And right. I think it's one that, that will certainly, that it, that's informing our approach with spin. I mean, I think that spin, spin has an incredible legacy and we're, and we're not, we're not going to shy away from that. Uh, I think what's, what's cool is having a legacy like that allows you to, um, be able to provide context and provide sort of a, like a path, an understanding of like a wider, wider angle picture of, of where we've been and where we're going. Um, and for me, you know, I, my tastes have always been all over the place and, uh, electronic music was and still is a, a major passion of mine, but, you know, I've been listening to everything. So it, it does also, I am also excited to, uh, you know, have the scope broadened significantly in, right. in my in my day to day work. Um, in my previous role at Billboard, I was helping consult with different verticals, different genre verticals there. So it, I was getting a little bit outside dance as well. But you know, Spin also does TV, film, and culture and politics. So I, I'm I'm just really excited about um, broadening that scope. And you know, just to to kind of jump back into what I was I was talking about, I think. You know, alternative is an ethos and not a genre. I think, yeah. like Will Hermes, real like I just love the way that he put it in this this foreword he wrote to to one of the Spin anniversary books, and he writes, um, you know, alternative refers to things that arise once other things, namely mainstream things, begin sucking. Mm-hmm. And I I think there's an amazing opportunity here right now because you know Spin was launched in 1985 as the edgy alternative to Rolling Stone. And right. Bob Guccione Jr., the, the founder of it, you know, he was a big, big Rolling Stone fan, but he just felt that it had become, that it had kind of softened its tone. It had become really predictable. It was catering more, perhaps, to the advertisers than to its audience. And you have to also think about the time then. It was Reaganism. It was like the rise of MTV. And I feel like 
right now with like Trump and Facebook, it's like we're in a we're in a great time for spin to come back. Right. Um, and I also think that and I think, it you know, the way that um, Will, Will Hermes describes it, he says, like, these alternative movements are often defined by one of two things, uh, namely uh, extreme. It's uh, innovativeness or extreme passion. And there's kind of like these alternative movements, they tend to, when, when they really pick up steam, they tend to influence the mainstream and become mainstream. And that's like the, the constant paradox right, that right. exists. And he identifies a couple uh, examples of, of uh, like a period, this magical period he describes when things are, are simultaneously alternative and mainstream. And the examples he gives are like Prince in the 80s and Nirvana at their peak. And I would also say Spin at its peak. Because spin started as this sort of like edgy alternative scrappy zine, you know, like that was kind of the thorn in Rolling Stone's side almost. And then, and it was covering these like fringe scenes and supporting these rising artists. And, and then, you know, it was supporting the grunge scene from Seattle, which was then a fringe scene. And then that blew up. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, I mean, Kurt Cobain has been on more spin covers than anyone else. And so, you know, they really helped break a lot, a lot of artists in that scene. And then, you know, Spin's profile exploded as as that scene did, and um, and then you know all of a sudden Spin is uh, Spin's got the biggest party at South by Southwest. Spin's got the Spin House at at Coachella, and you know brand partnerships and all this. And it's it's like this existential question and almost challenge of like how do you maintain your alternative like ethos and and, and credibility when um when while also you know maximizing opportunities and growing and you know i think i think it's a, like one of those like age-old questions that like there's no there's never really a, a definite answer to but i think trying to hold true to that ethos and and uh it is key when when moving forward and right i think one thing too that you know when i one thing i, I really like about the way spin was launched um there's so that's an interesting story like Bob Guccione Jr. is the founder of Spin. When he, for the first, you know, for the first cover, for the first issue, you know, it's, you got to make a, a splash. It's like, you know, it's, it's a really big deal. And, and his, his team, as it, as it goes, as it's told, the story goes, the, his team came to him and were like, all right, like we got David Bowie locked in. It's like, you're like, oh, wow, David Bowie, you know? <laughs> but he was like, nah, like that's like, that's, that's predictable. That's like establishment. That's, that's what Rolling Stone would do. He was like, nah, there's like this young starlet I think she's going to be a big star. She's got a lot of potential. Her name's Madonna. And they put, he put Madonna on the cover instead. And, you know, like the rest is history. I mean, I think that's like that, that sort of idea. I mean, look, Madonna was successful in 1985, but it was no, it was no guarantee that she was going to have a decade spanning career. Right. You know, and, and she appeared on many spin covers after that. And they, you know, she had a very good relationship with the, with the, with the brand. And I think. That uh, that willingness to take a chance, take chances on rising artists, is something I want to bring back to the to the brand as well. And I think we're, we definitely have some exciting franchises planned around rising artists. Um, that's going to be a big big priority going forward. Um, do you ever get nervous? So like this alternative area is yeah. sort of like a gray area in terms of you know what's good and what's not. It's sort of like putting your bet on different racehorses, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Do you ever think about the integrity of the magazine while you're choosing a rising artist? So is it like, oh, man, like this artist is so left field, but we really think they could be good. But if we put something out on them, like, you know, how will we look or, you know, how many, how, how often does that come into play? 
we're know? certainly weighing like credibility. You know, like th- 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 right. that's always a concern. I'd say it's funny that you right. said left field because that's actually the name of the column we just launched for, exper- <laughs> for experimental music. So that's and uh, so that's uh, that was a nice little tie-in. Um, but that's but that's actually that, but that also goes to show like we, so we just launched a rap monthly column. We launched this left field experimental music column. Um, we have some more uh, columns in the works as well. As I mentioned, there'll be there'll be uh, a franchise around rising artists, and I think part of that is carving out space to 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 do that to taste make to take a chance on artists you know i think that's a, a big thing too is that not not all coverage needs to be a full-blown review or feature or nothing right so what we wanted to create sort of these intentional intentional uh it's like real estate almost like editorial real estate that we can be really intentional about who we align with and and some of the you know like left field for example has like these sort of um, like mini capsule reviews in it, and 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 it, it it you can cover a lot of different artists in one column. So it doesn't always necessarily need to be like we're staking all of our coverage on this artist. It's right. like mm-hmm. it's like all right, we see what you're doing. Like here's a shout out. Here's a you know we like we want to we want to give you some support. And then and then you know as that artist develops, so can Spin's relationship with them. Right. Totally. One thing I want to dive into, I know a lot of people are listening to the show are either managers or artists themselves. And I think over the past five, ten years, as social media has become so, I mean, such an integral part of the kind of music marketing landscape of everybody's daily lives, the there's been this interesting like change in balance as far as like media versus social media. Yeah. Can you talk as to where you see the role of editorial in developing an artist's career? It's a really good question. Um I mean, I, I've always felt that your social media voice is just as important as your editorial voice these, voice these days, because if you don't, if you're not doing socials right, you're not going to get, people aren't going to make it far enough to see your editorial, you know? Um, I think, you know, unfortunately to, in many, in many cases, uh, gone are the days when, um, you know, when fans or, or, or consumers were always going straight to your, to your site. You know, I think uh, th- there was a there was a time, but like, but now most people, I think, are going to news feeds, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's on Instagram. Social media has become the window to the world of all media, for better or for, for worse. And um, you know, it, it's obviously with Facebook algorithm, you know, Facebook algorithm changes can cause you know, like, send shockwaves through the <laughs> through the media industry because and and. and as can like Google algorithm changes, you know, I think these, there are these other sites that have become the windows into that world. And that's just a reality of, of the current climate. Uh, and so I think it's really important when, when creating media these days and editorial to think about how that lives and is optimized for various platforms. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, one thing that's great about editorial is the ability to, to, to tell stories and, and to tell tell stories in a in an independent and credible journalistic way, uh, I I think you know I've I've got the question on some panels before about you know in the in the age of of Spotify playlisting and the like like do you, you know do we do we need editorial do you, how how important is is editorial and I and I think it's still very important there's a very important role to play because uh, let's let's say you you hear a just because you like a song on a playlist or click save or whatever does not convert a fan necessarily, you know? Let's say you hear a song you like on New Music Friday. You're like, oh, okay, cool. 
drag it over to my playlist. That doesn't mean you're about to buy a shirt. Doesn't mean you're about to buy a ticket, right? I, right. I think, I think the role of editorial and to that affect video content as well. You know, like I, I kind of lump them all together in my mind. It's like, uh, editorial content, editorial nature. Um, that, that's what can get like, you know, these platforms can open the door, but I feel like we have the power to really bring someone inside and bring them inside the room and, and make, and, and make it, you know, more than just, uh, a name on a playlist. And, I was going to say it's validation. Yeah, I think I think exactly I think editorial now, at least from my perspective as an artist manager. Yeah, it, it, not only does it help build the story, but it's also validation for when you see it on a playlist. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's like a company sharing like testimonials or photos of all the brands they worked it, with. Exactly. And then exactly. also, I think there's a level of like depth. I mean, just the narrative that editorial can provide. I mean, yeah. it is per your point, what kind of really opens that door is the deeper connection with an artist. I mean, you really get a. Uh, their story, not just their profile picture. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it builds on their socials. Yeah, you know? that's right. I mean, look, numbers can be gamed. We all know, we all know that, you know, if, 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 if right now you and I, you know, made, made a little like song out of just like knocking on wood and we had the right plugs to get it on the right playlist, we would get a million plays. That doesn't mean we're going to be able to sell out, uh, the knitting factory. You know what I mean? Right, it's like, right. it, it's, it's, you know, numbers only tell, only tell so much. And I think, and then you have it, you'll have the case of like, maybe there is an artist that is really putting up real numbers and really converting fans. Their story still needs to be told. And I think that that's where, that's where publications like Spin, like Billboard, et cetera, can come in um, and really sort of um, help tell that story in, in a way that uh, can be really memorable and, and provide validation, like you said, too. I mean, I, I think... That's why you're seeing, you know, coming from the billboard side, uh, the billboard charts are still very important to artists, you know, and, and it's, it's, and you're seeing people share the, um, you know, their chart accomplishments and, and the like it, that that's validation. And it's in it, I think it's more important than ever to have sort of like an independent, credible observer and like, uh, like, like a billboard, like a spin, et cetera, just because in the social media climate, it's like, you know, there are a lot of smoke and mirrors and there are a lot of people you know, constantly inflating their accomplishments or not giving context. And like, you know, I think that it's important to have that, like that grounding, that ground totally. area where you can go and you're like, okay, like, let's see, let's see this for real. Um, so, but you're, but, but certainly the, the nature of media has changed significantly. For sure. And I, and I do think that, um, you know, so, social media, um, if you're not thinking about social media in terms of like your editorial approach, then, you know, you, you need, you need to get with the times. Right. I want to, I mean, you spoke a little bit about storytelling and just the crafting a story. I mean, you see tons of stories, whether it's just yourself as a fan and, um, or as a professional editor in chief, I mean, identifying what stories you want to tell, how to best tell those stories. Mm. I mean, what do you think, I mean, outside of editorial, I mean, when it comes just to, I mean, what makes for great stories? I mean, even within, I guess, like you've seen all these different pictures, you've seen all these different articles, what stands out as like, very critical factors of great stories when it when it comes to an artist that's a great question um i think one one really important distinction between proper storytelling and like proper like proper journalism versus like hosting is that look is is that you have to like it i i i think it's very important 
from a journalistic perspective to ask the right questions, to ask the question, to go, to go there, to, you know, to, to, to be credible, to, to think about what the audience would want to hear rather than just making the artist feel comfortable, if that makes sense. Right. And those, those aren't mutually exclusive things. You can have a great in-depth, you know, substantive, uh, interview with an artist where they're completely comfortable throughout, you know, if you have, a, if you, and like a lot of my best interviews have been just great conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a difference between being a journalist and, you know, being an on-air host where you're just like, you know, kind of throwing, throwing, uh, softballs each time. And I think it's important. I think you actually, when you actually go a little bit outside, you know, your comfort zone or the artist's comfort zone within reason, uh, I think is where, that's where you, you actually get something real rather than these like prepackaged responses. And so uh, when I look, you know, when I, when I'm reading and, 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 and watching and, and, uh, you know, basically going through things, I'm, I always look to see that, um, you know, that, that, uh, that the journalist, you know, actually ex- like exerted effort to tell the story that they, right. that they, that they are telling rather than, um, just sort of like checked the list of things that the publicist would, would like them to ask about, you know? And that doesn't mean you can't ask about the new release and the, the new campaign and all that. But, you know, I think do something substantive, do something that, that has meaning and do so and think about too, you know, you're, it's an important responsibility in this day and age. Um, because you're, you're the conduit, you're the conduit through which, you know, like th- these days everyone can go direct to fans, right? Yeah. Artists can go direct to fans, you know, et cetera. Um, I'm not even like phased by that anymore. Yeah. Like when people, oh, we're going to do this direct to the fans. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. You and literally everyone else. Right. Right. <laughs> and so it's, but I think there's still a very important role for journalism to play, yeah, you know? Course. And so I think when you do have those opportunities, you gotta, you gotta ask those questions. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, bring value to the table, you know, bring value. And, 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 and you know, what I think is also really like, I'm, I'm always fascinated by, and that's another reason why I think spin is like such a great fit is I'm, I'm fascinated by, um, less, less heralded stories and less heralded sounds, less heralded styles and scenes. It's very easy to, to cover the thing that's popping in the charts, you mm-hmm. know, and there's nothing wrong with doing so. I mean, it's, it's, uh, because if something's popping in the charts, that means that there, there's, there is a story there because people are consuming it. Yeah. You know, um, like what's happening right now with Lil Nas X, like I'm all about it. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's super cool. I like, I'm, and I'm like, yeah, this is it. it Everyone's covering it and that's great. And they should be because it is a story. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's cool to like, you know, when you cover something that, you know, not that many people are talking about or you you find a scene that's that's not necessarily getting the shine, but that you find a good story. And like that always really interests me because then once again, you're kind of you're, you're going down a, a less traveled route and and bringing value to the reader. Um, and so. Yeah, I, I, I hope that answers your question, I think. No, for yeah. sure. I mean, I think just probing for su- substance and asking the hard questions. I mean, I think yeah. even as somebody that works very closely with artists, I've just noticed across the board, whenever you're able to get an artist to be like vulnerable and like pull back the curtains, I yeah. mean, it's the stuff that 10 out of 10 times will always resonate deeply with fans. And I yeah. think oftentimes like people don't do enough thinking to ask those sort of questions right. or they're uncomfortable. But I mean, it's it's those uncomfortable moments where 
great stuff comes. Yeah, and there's a respectful way to ask yeah. a difficult question. I've I was going to say TMZ, that's like, they just lean into discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's like, and, a, like yo, I, let's ask him about his baby mama right now while he leaves LAX. Yeah. <laughs> let's ask him right now. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not advocating for that. <laughs> but but I, I, like I said, I do think there, there, are, there are respectful uh, ways to ask difficult questions. Right. You know, and... And I um, and there's an art to the interview mm-hmm. where you can actually where you can actually make someone feel comfortable enough that to answer a question later on in the interview in a very honest way that if you had led straight off stop off with it, it you would have got they would have ended it or, or not so, done it. You know, you there, there's an art to the interview, right. and um, and you know, I'm I'm always very um, I, I always find more value in pieces I read or segments I watch where uh, that's taken into uh, account. So do you learn from other interviewers? Do you watch other interviews and then kind of like, oh, okay, I kind of see what he did there. I'll take that. I kind of see what she did there. That's a good question. Honestly, my interview approach has always felt very natural to me. I I wouldn't say that there's necessarily anyone I've watched where it was like a a major influence. The one person I can think of, and it wasn't really an influence, but it was just like an eye-opener, was Nardwar. You know, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's I, one of the ghosts. Classic, dude. Yeah. I mean, he's. I have so much respect do, do, for him. Do, do, yeah, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> there it is. I have. I mean, I. I remember when I watched that, and I was like, "Wow!" I thought I prepared for interviews. Like, my hat is off to him. Yeah, and oh, yeah. and but but I wouldn't say that necessarily. I started trying to like dig up you know people's like favorite records from like eons ago, or like knowing like their ex girlfriends' names or anything <laughs> like that. Like it, it, it just like I'm just really impressed by him. I think, and I think he's he's just a really impressive figure who who has um, mastered that like you know the the art of like the deep dive research and all that. Oh, and, yeah. and and he's also built a built a persona and a, and a character that and I a think brand yeah and a brand yeah. He'll and, freak out some of his interviews at the time, but yeah. Oh yeah. Continue. No, and I and I think so. Like <laughs> this, so discomfort. This yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's someone that I've definitely like. I've, I looked to been like, wow, that's it's really impressive. I wouldn't say that like I've really emulated his approach in any way, but but I respect it. I respect yeah. it. I respect it. Honestly, like for me, it's always been a pretty natural thing because my best interviews have always been conversations, and yeah. I think the fact that you know I I do you know make music and that I, I have D, you know a DJ mm-hmm. a bit. I think that's also really helped me in the interview process right. because it also gave me common ground and a common language with artists so i can think of examples where for example i was my, the time i interviewed flume or, or john hopkins um you know they didn't seem particularly interview inter- interested in the interview at the beginning mm-hmm. and, and i don't blame them because they probably you know they go through this a lot mm-hmm. and it's a lot of the same things um, but once I started asking about specific synthesizers they used on songs and like made it clear that like I have an understanding of synthesis and, mm-hmm. you know, I can tell a Moog from a Korg and like all that, it, the, it was amazing to see like the body language just changed. It was like yeah. going from like, like John Hopkins took his sunglasses off, you know, like flew, like, you know, uncrossed his arms. It was, and then it was a, a great conversation. And of course I got to other topics, but you know, I got much more honest, genuine uh, responses on those topics than if I had just sort of peppered them with questions. Yeah. Where are you from? How'd you get into music? Yeah, the- <laughs> yeah. It was the same with um, when I first met Martin Garrix. Uh-huh. We really connected over the fact that like we were talking about synthesizers and like actually the first thing I asked him was just like, hey man, like 
how are you doing? Like, this has been a crazy, because when I first met him it was 2014, he had just, he was like riding high off animals, you know? So he went from the 2013, he was in the crowd at Tomorrowland and 2014, he was playing like, you know, I, I, I have to check if it was the main stage, but I think it was, if not, it was a, a, a big stage. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, like, that's just a crazy dizzying rise for a young kid uh, to be on who is that, you know, he's certainly is he 18, 19. Like, he's very young then and um, younger, I think. And so it, my first question to him was like, hey, man, like, how are you doing? Like, are you all right? You know, I know that's a crazy rise. Like, you know, are you, are you staying healthy? Like, do you have good mentors in your life? And like, he like visibly exhaled, you know, and yeah. he's just like, thank you for like not being the first to be like, how'd you come up with animals? You know, like, <laughs> and, and then, you know, we, we did talk about animals and we did talk about the creative process and all that, but, but it happened it, naturally, naturally. And, and that's always kind of been my MO and, and uh, my approach with interviews. And I, I just feels natural to me. I, I, yeah. I, I've always enjoyed like the art of conversation, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting mm -hmm. it. But I, I just enjoy, I've, I've always been a naturally curious person and. Make sure you talk about synthesizers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, All you right. future journalists out there, you know, ask about the synthesizer. Yeah. Lil Nas X. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you, you, you start, you start asking the synths, they don't even that, got synths on the song. That nine, that nine Inch Nails sample. Yeah. <laughs> that, that Nine Inch Nails sample. But, and one thing I'll say is this, look, um, I do think that that helped, especially, you know, electronic music is one of the few areas of music, one of the few genres where the way in which it's performed is not always indicative of the way in which it was made. Yeah. So like, for example, you know, you see Skrillex um, in front of turntables up there and then you see like a whole different DJ in front of turntables. It looks the same, but that totally different things could have gone into the making of those records. Right. right. Like a lot of people didn't know that Skrillex plays guitar and sings and like used yeah. to front, front a screamo band. And like, that's why I thought it was actually really important when I it was a big moment when Skrillex and Diplo played at the Grammys and Skrillex was on guitar and like Diplo's on the drum set or something. Yeah. But like, but like the fact that like it was Skrillex like shredding on guitar, like that was important because so, you know, I think electronic musicians often unfairly get maligned as as not real musicians mm -hmm. and when oh, trust when me. they really are. I deal with that too. Yeah. Hip hop music, I deal with totally. that too. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And and I so that's why like, you know, but I think also even more so, like a, I think a lot of it's very easy for let's say someone's covering rock music. Even if they don't play guitar, even if they don't play drums, it's easy for them to understand that and describe it accurately, right? Mm -hmm. easier than than someone kind of trying to describe electronic music if they haven't ever made it or or played it you know mm -hmm. that's why you see people using these kind of like shortcut to thinking words like bangers and like stuff like that i hate those words like billboard dance <laughs> like a I, banger I, what's that it's a banger oh i hate that i hate that <laughs> bangers that's like me it's a sign that I, I mean, something's happening i mean look what it's, are it's, some it's, other words you don't like just out of curiosity well there's the, the word edm and i have a whole long history yeah. but <laughs> that's a complicated one but uh it's a funny it's, thing being in like the house world there's like so much like shade thrown yeah. on like I'm not EDM. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, to sum it up, I would say EDM started as a convenient umbrella term in America for, for a movement, for, for, for outsiders to understand a burgeoning movement. Uh, and then it, what it became was a problematic umbrella term because it became associated with a very specific sound. And it was like the most overblown, like, mm -hmm. like kind of, uh, cringe-inducing uh, side of that, especially <laughs> when seen from the perspective of house and techno and outside the outside America. Yeah. Because EDM is very much an American term. Like, yeah. in Europe, they, they're like, oh, like, 
EDM. Like they don't call themselves that. They don't think of themselves as that. And so it was always a, a you know something that I was very intentional about when we used the term EDM in our coverage and when we we didn't um, because you know I it, it's it's not like you can't you can't call a, a techno artist EDM mm-hmm. in in their eyes even though in in theory electronic dance music yeah, for sure. should but it, it it became a dirty word yeah, you know yeah, it, yeah. it has a whole nother stigma attached to it so um yeah like they're, they're, I just think like electronic music is complex and there have and EDM wasn't the first convenient and flawed umbrella term we have yeah. Techno, which used to be an umbrella term before it became Dude, a genre. I joked around with a friend. Electronica. Electronica. For like house music, you could literally just put like any adjective or noun before the word house. You have like tech house. Yeah, literally yeah. in an event my friend was marketing, it was like rainforest house. Like <laughs> there you go. House. Yeah, I, shaman house was yeah, like mine. That was, that was my yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I've always been big on Jordan house. Yeah, I'm about, I'm about to be a house artist. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would listen up. to some Jordan house. Yeah. <laughs> Dope. Okay, so I want to get tactical yeah. in the sense I know you see, I mean, artists, I mean, obviously social media, media influx, media journalistic features, super yeah. valuable. What, as somebody that's seen hundreds, if not thousands of pitches come across your inbox, like yeah. what makes a great pitch? How do you get press? Uh, like yeah. how should an artist or a manager go about trying to get press? Also, does press come to you directly as editor-in-chief or does it come to the people that work under you? It's a great <laughs> question. Um, the answer is both for sure. Okay. It comes to both. Um, so just uh, in terms of pitches, are, are we thinking like, a pitch from like a, a manager from an artist side, like like this is a publicist or a manager who wants to gain coverage for their artist. Is that yeah. what we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So in that, in those, like I think I think it's really important to think about uh, the overarching narrative of an artist's career and think about where different publications can fit into that. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm often asked about by young and up and coming artists is like, you know, back in days, like, how do I get my stuff in billboard? And I'm like, honestly, that shouldn't be on, that shouldn't be your concern right now. Like you, you should be trying to get your stuff into blogs, into like onto, into smaller uh, publications, into publications that are actually catering. They have like, they have a, a finger on the pulse of that, of that scene. Um, you got to build a narrative, you know? And honestly, it's about, it's about having the right press looks at the right time. I think a billboard feature or a billboard premiere or a spin feature or a spin, you know, um, you know, being showcased in one of these spin columns can be a major boon for an artist's career, but it has to be at the right time. And if it's premature, I think it actually, it, it doesn't help the artist. And I don't think it really helps the public education either in certain ways. I think it's about, you know, like I always, with Billboard and Billboard Dance, for example, um, I would like, there were artists that I was like, I was following them and I was like, you're good. Like, I, 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 see, I see what you're doing. I respect it. And I'm still passing on all the remix requests. You know, yeah. they're, they're, like, they're like, yo, like, cover this about this remix premiere this remix and i'm just like no nah, like when it's billboard or when it's spin these iconic publications like let's make it something impactful right and so like i would so much rather have um i think i think as from from my side from an editor perspective and from an artist or a manager's side rather have one really impactful look or a major publication that comes at the right time and like really elevates the next level versus like a few disposable premieres. 
You know what I mean? Like I like there was there was an artist who, you know, I probably stiff armed like I'd re- rejected <laughs> like yeah. I I I'd I'd politely decline to premiere like also known as <laughs> like, like probably like, like 10 or 11 like remixes and I was like look like and then finally they they um they did like their first original song with a big featured vocalist and it was like their first like major label thing and I was like this is the one we're going to premiere and then they we did it it was a great story behind it everything the writer did a great job uh, they were so happy. They were beside themselves. And I reached out to them and I said, look, aren't you happy that you had your first billboard look for this one versus those other ones? You, they were like, you're completely right. Like, yes, you're right. Um, and I do think that that billboard look at that time, it was the right, it was the right publication, the right time for, for that release. And, um, so, and, and I think especially, so but like to get back to what I was saying, I, I think, um, what you want to do is you want to create a narrative. And so like, I'm, I'm always, I'm always like really interested in seeing if I'm, if I'm like for spin or for billboard, if we're, if we're thinking about aligning with a new artist, I like to see where they've been. And I like to see like, you know, what, what are these publications that have aligned with them in the past? What have they done? And it's not about shock and awe to me. Like, oh, okay, we did like this big name. It's kind of like, all right, did, did this, did their scene really care about them? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like there are a lot of people, you know, there are, there are a lot of collect connected managers who can pull strings and, and get placements at, at major media things and, and, and try and do like the fast track, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, the, the, to each their, I'm not going to say that doesn't necessarily work sometimes, but like, I think it's pretty apparent when, when, when that's happening mm-hmm. and, I, I always like to see like a real organic groundswell of like, you know, there, there are, there's a real scene, there's a real audience, there's a real narrative being built around this artist, you know, and that starts small sometimes. And I think it should start small. And, and, you know, if I, I think that's, that's a good thing because um, it allows you to, to, to progress. And then uh, it, it, then once it's like, once it's time for that big publication look, then it's the right time and it feels like it feels special and it feels like like there's a like a a milestone in a story versus something out of context that just happened do you know I, what i mean yeah i think it also starts with the artists too because the artists even before they get on these small blogs and stuff i know I, I used to you know write for a blog i tried to start one myself a long time ago and i would get submissions and i'd be I wouldn't, there was nothing to grasp onto when the artist didn't even have a brand. Right. You know? So it starts, it starts like we were just talking about, I think, you know, at the narrative level on social media even, yeah. and on the branding, on the branding level before they're even on their small blogs. You know what I mean? It, totally. It all kind of feeds into each other. And look, I think, um, I, I think it's important not to treat media coverage as boxes to be checked. I yeah. think, I think a lot of times, um, people will be like, or, or you know, certain you know that people will be like all right like can we get your support on the news or can we get your support on this release and i'm like whoa whoa spin hasn't ever covered this artist before (laughs) so like we're not just gonna support the news you know what i mean like we're not just gonna we're not just gonna be like okay like this what value does that bring our audience and what the value does that bring your artist um i I think that there's rather than like a disposable post on this we that's one of the reasons why i want to do all these franchises around rising artists because then we can actually introduce them in a way that 
you know, it doesn't have to be a full-blown feature, but like something that's like, hey, like here's an artist to watch, here's why, blah, blah, blah. Right. That way when they do something new, they've already been introduced to our audience. I've, I think a lot of pe- people's minds forget that audience is a very real thing. Audience is a very important thing. It's, it's a living, breathing thing. And, you know, you, you, they're different. You know, Spin's audience is very different from Billboard's. Um, Billboard's audience is very different from Billboard dances. And applying like a one-size-fits-all approach is, is a recipe for irrelevance, I think. And so I think, you know, and, and I think sometimes um, from the publicity perspective that, that it feels like that sometimes. Like this is like the, this is the, like you blasted this press release to, or this email to on the team's. You know, say so who knows how many other publications? <laughs> BCC. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, not, not to say that, like, not to say that you know, there. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the practice of sending press releases wide because that's what press releases are for. But right. like, but you know, just like understanding what's the right, the right way to approach a publication, and like another another thing too is to know about the publication that you're approaching. Um, you know, there are certain publications that just don't do premieres. Mm-hmm. So if you come to them being like, "Can you premiere this?" It, it just tells me you you don't you're not know. reading it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything about it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and and I think it's just you know keeping things concise is always good too. I mean, my email inbox is crazy, so um, I, I think if, if I always tell people that like, bullet points are your friends, like just get me the, the bullet points um, on like what this is and and why it's important and and. Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, and and I'd say also like w- one of the most like most important guiding principles like in my life, my professional life, my personal life, and I think it really comes to to this too is don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. You know, like there have been there have been um, you know emails I didn't I wasn't able to get back to people like premieres that like I regret and I wish we'd done you know these things that it was just a crazy week or you know it was I we were traveling or like there was there you know there was a major death in the news and we we had all hands on deck or you know so I think understanding and it and it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to understand and I am cognizant of the fact that you know when I have all the you know thousands and thousands and thousands of of emails in this inbox. Many of those represent the most important thing to someone, right? Like someone, it's like these, this track is is something that someone right. uh, spent hours and hours and hours and poured their heart and soul into. It's something that their manager is clearly making a priority right now. It's something that they hired a, pub- a publicist to try and push. It's like they they're so like this is their this is their most important thing, but it's just one of many many you know, yeah. stars in the sky competing for, for my attention. And then sometimes there are just, there are moments when like the sun just rises and, I, and no, no matter how bright those stars are, I can't see them because there are other things competing. Right. There, there are other things that need to be done. A, a very mm-hmm. eloquent metaphor. I like that. It's my first time, it's, it's my first <laughs> yeah, time, first time yeah, using it actually. Yeah, this yeah, is, no, this, that, was, that's, that was good. That's an exclusive on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this yeah, I'm going to start using that though. You heard it <laughs> but, <here> first. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, and one thing I will say too, and, and this is something that I, I think important is I realized at a certain point that I could be successful simply by reacting. I could be successful on paper by reacting. I was getting enough good opportunities being pitched my way from publicists, managers, etc. Like we could do this. Yes, yes, yes. No, yes, no, yes. And like traffic would go up. But that's not how you build a brand. That's I'm not how active. you. That's not how you build. Um, that's how you build something that that that's memorable. It's not. It's not how you achieve a vision. 
just by simply reacting. And so that's why sometimes, you know, in order to be intentional and in order to make the decisions that you need to, to build what your vision is for something like what, what, what my vision was for billboard dance and, and certainly what my vision is for spin. Sometimes it means putting on blinders and just doing what you believe is yeah. best. And, and, and that me and that, and that may mean, um, you know, disappointing people, disappointing people, uh, or, or, and, and that's just, a, that's just the nature of it. And so I think just never taking things personally is a, is a really important part of understanding that. And I'll, I'll say this, like, I'll always appreciate it when, you know, maybe I get back to my, Hey, sorry, like last week was absolutely crazy. We, you know, launched the, we launched this new franchise. There was this re- rebrand that the team was short staffed, whatever like that, or, or, right. you know, or, you know, we, you know, people were out and, you know, whatever, whatever the, the reason is. And there's like, Oh no, totally understand. You know, and it's, it's not sort of like a, uh, you didn't get back to me or like, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Right. So, um, I, and then I think it, I try to apply that in my own, um, in my own, you know, for my own intention, like we're talking about me trying to achieve a vision intentionally. If I'm reaching out to someone and they don't get back to me, mm-hmm. I, I don't take it personally either. I understand that they, they probably have a lot competing for their attention too. And, and, um, I think that's like, that's a really important lesson to learn in the, in this, in navigating like the music industry, that's any industry. I'm, that's but, when yeah. I become annoying though. When people don't respond to my emails and it's important, I will send like four follow-up emails like once every week. Just that's like, fine. Yo, 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 that, yo. That's, that's totally true. fine. But I definitely don't take it personally. Yeah, you know? no. And it's okay to be <laughs> persistent. Right, right. There have been opportunities that only happened because someone was persistent with me. Right. And that's okay. But they were persistent, but polite and like right, respectful. Right. And it wasn't like, wasn't blowing you up like, yeah. you like, like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't like my music. You it, it wasn't like, yeah. it, it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, like four responses in a day, you know, or, or yeah, like even right. in a week. It was, it was if, yeah. if, you, if you space it out, you, yeah. Right. And, and, um, Another thing I think is really important too uh, is being respectful of the medium on which you contact people. Mm-hmm. Um, people. I read text you, people hit your phone and stuff. It happens, yeah. And and it's you know uh, I mean I understand. <laughs> no, I mean you know what I mean. But yeah, like, I know. it's it's like I mean uh, the pe- your your phone number isn't somewhere where people find it though, right? I where- I don't make it very like it's not in my email signature, right. et cetera. But you know. Some people have it. Yeah. Some publicists have it. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't stop fucking texting me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but it's cool. It's cool. Look, Look, I'm okay. Look, here's, here's, here's the thing. Like, if something is is absolutely urgent, I totally understand. It. If yeah, there's, yeah. there's a major, let's say an article went up from my team and there's a major issue with it and they, and they can't get me on it. They text me, fine, fine. But to me, text message, it, it's it's a certain thing. I read somewhere that if, you know, if you even just like feeling your phone vibrate, like getting a notification like that, even if you don't answer it, can like, it takes like 20 minutes or something to regain the amount of concentration, like the amount of focus you had. Um, yeah, I live in do not disturb. Yeah, Literally yeah. like 80% of the time my phone's in do not disturb. And, and so, people that, and so like, fairly frequently, it's fairly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. And, and so I, I think, I think it's important to be really like, it's about like being really empathetic to like think about, all right, is because if you're going to text someone, you're going to, you may break their concentration on something and you may, uh, you know, you're, you're basically in, you're basically like waving a giant like red flag being like, Hey, you need to pay t- attention to me right now. Yes. Um, and so if you're going to do that, make sure it's something that's worth that because 
I mean, look, I have no problem with someone, you know, following up on email over something because an email can be checked at my discretion and, and, uh, et cetera. And right. I have it said, I mean, like an email is not going to knock me out of my, in, out of a concentration. Um, but a text is, and I think it's important to be, um, conscientious of that and, right. and respectful and, and uh, yeah, I mean, if, when I mean, do not disturb. You can also put that on for specific people. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, just like, saying. But then you do that, and then it's just like an email. It'll be che- it'll be seen once right. I decide to check my phone. Slack yeah. will uh, send me a message sometimes saying this person is on do not disturb. Are you sure you want to send in this notification? I'm like, oh, um, maybe not. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, not it. Not that you ask. Someone was telling me about like the idea of of implementing into iOS like focus mode, and I, I don't know what the the actual status of this is but the idea would essentially be like i could let's kind of like that like do not disturb but let's say i put on my phone in focus mode and then like sam wants to send me a meme you know like some like ridiculous meme that like it's totally not worth like breaking my concentration i got dank uh, memes though, i know you do i know you do but i'll see i'll see <laughs> them at my, at my, at my yeah. time. <laughs> so, <let's say> <laughs> so sam's gonna start and send me this this amazing meme and he'll get this thing like hey like matt matt's in focus mode like do you, are you sure you want to send this now and he yeah. might say, yeah, yeah. He might say, yeah. <laughs> and like, honestly, honestly, if it were Sam, it wouldn't bother me. But, 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 you know, it, it, I think it'd be a, you. The, the one, I think something like that could be cool because then at least like you don't have to go like full blown, like you don't, you can still be accessible in emergencies, you know, if someone's like, yo, this is an emergency and we need to break focus mode. Right. But, right. you know, so I don't know. Okay. And I tried, I try to be empathetic too. Like I, there are, there are times when, um, you know, I'm trying to reach someone or I'm trying to get through to a team and I'm like, Should I te- no, I'm not going to text them. Like, I'm going to follow up on email in the right you know, time because it, it, it's a two-way street. Totally, man. All right. Time is running low, but I have a couple last things I want to pick your brain on. I know you were very close to like both Kygo and Marshmallows, like yeah. camps and individual, like those, those guys. What seeing their ascent from the earliest of stages, yeah. what are some of the, the takeaways that you can glean to share with other <laughs> artists? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, it's been amazing to watch both of those artists yeah. um, ascend to the heights that they have. For sure. Um, and being an early supporter of both. Um, I will say this. It's it's so important to have... I mean, it, 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 it might sound cliche, but it's because it's so true. It's so important to have a good team behind you. Uh, both both those artists have, have you know, great teams. Uh behind them to, to allow them to, um, be creative and, uh, you know, be artists and, and leave, you know, the, the nitty gritty industry side to industry people. Right. Um, I think both artists, uh, have great marketing behind them, especially Marshmallow. I think, um, his ascent was a case study in social media marketing that's not to take away from his music at all. I just think that he was able to get like get to the next level, right? By by, um, you know, I I wrote the the marshmallow cover story for Billboard, uh, and just described. I think one of the the lines that I've been like wanting to write for a long time is the fact that in an industry of a lot of like mostly like twenty twenty something year old white males, unfortunately, is mostly dance music. Um, it it there it's a, it's an industry like with a ton of the, of the same type of people trying to stand out from the crowd, and um, and he, you know Marshmallow was able to um, 
become an instantly recognizable like meme, yeah. a living meme, a living, walking, talking meme. And it's been really exciting that I think, I just want to add, I think it's been really exciting that the dynamic of dance music does seem to be changing. Uh, and it, it, there's, there's more representation than there has been, but there's still a long way to go. Um, there's still a long way to go. And, and I think that, um, you know, more equitable gender um, and racial uh, diversity and, and representation in dance music is something that um, everyone who works in there should be thinking about in the yeah. area. Yeah. Uh, one last thing, and I really appreciate that, and I think it's a great point that we yeah. need to be like conscious of and at even times like go out of our way. I mean, just be conscious of it and support emerging acts from like different backgrounds mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. We can also say what the hot takes were, but he's kind of dismantled them throughout the throughout True. the conversation. True. <laughs> so, even, even before the hot take, though, yeah. one thing we haven't spoken about at all, which is amazing that despite all of your success and momentum you've been building across like this side of your life as mm-hmm. a kind of media professional, journalism professional, um, you're also a DJ and a producer. Yeah, man. yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what it's like balancing both yeah. sides and also some of the, the, the challenges you faced totally. as well as some of the the, the moments of success or, or lessons yeah. you feel like you've gleaned as yeah. a DJ and producer? Well, I think, you know, like, like I mentioned, so first I started DJing back in college as, you know, mashups everyone was trying to be girl talk you know like yeah. you're playing like fraternity and sorority formals it's always just a fun outlet for me i've always loved music i've always loved sharing music um i was in like terrible punk bands growing up and then like i was like oh djing i don't have to rely on three other people you know it's like a, you kind of you can do things at your own pace and but it was it's just always been an outlet for sharing music that i really liked and um you know i'd make like these hilarious mashups uh, in the, and you know <laughs> just, i'd had fun with it and um over over the years, as um, and as I already mentioned, how like I think just understanding the mechanics of DJing and producing music has um, has helped, you know, on on in terms of you know being able to uh, you know relate with artists for interviews and, and et cetera. Um, I do think that as as you know my my career progressed with Billboard Dance, I think my DJing sort of evolved into an extension of my brand as a curator for Billboard Dance. And it's, it's the way I sort of saw it was like, huh, like there's a lot of music that I really like that just doesn't make sense for billboard coverage, whether I like it or not, you know, um, and billboard dance coverage. And, uh, there are some like really, there are some kind of like fringe, interesting, I I mentioned, I really like fringe scenes and like less heralded scenes. And so there are certain like fringe, like more fringe scenes that like I really love. And I'm like, this is cool. Like I want to be able to share this with an audience. Um, and so sometimes I'd like, put together like a DJ mix of it or um, then I, you know, I, or, or play some of those songs out. Excuse me. And it was very, it was cool to see that, you know, like kind of resonate. And, and I saw, started to see people were like, Oh, like we love seeing like you DJ because we, we discover new music. And I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. Like for music, at, like having DJing at my DJing as like as a curator, just like yeah. an extension of like enabling discovery. And, right. um, and so, you know, like when, like I actually love opening shows because, you know, as an opener, you can't play the peak hits. Mm-hmm. Not that I really want, I don't do anyway, but like you kind of have to be creative. And so mm-hmm. I'm, you know, being able to like play like Argentine electro cumbia before mm-hmm. Axel Negroso and you're seeing all these <laughs> kids kind of like, but they're like, but they're like, yeah, okay. like they're, they're, yeah. they're like vibing with it. Right. And it, my favorite thing is when I see someone shazamming. Yeah. I love that because what it says to me is it's a very interesting, like as a consumer behavior, it says, I like this. I did not know what this was. I want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take an affirmative step to to know what it is going forward, mm-hmm. which is great. And that's awesome because, you know, there's a, there, like, I'm, I'm at like, you know, Brooklyn Mirage 
playing this like this track you know made by like uh an artist like barrio lindo is one of my favorite electric cumbia artists um in in argentina and like you know some you know he he was sitting in argentina making the song and now like this kid in in brooklyn knows who he is right and might go and listen to his whole album and mike goes to his next show and that's cool right right that's right. cool and like berlin deep house i used to live in berlin um when i first started when i first started uh freelancing for billboard um and that's the thing i've been very fortunate enough to travel a mm-hmm. lot too like i had a whole past life in ngos and nonprofits before yeah. um before for getting into media and so um just all the places i've been it's been amazing to kind of just like listen to so many different styles and be able to sort of support them in a certain right. way because right. you know maybe i'm playing like some afrobeat or i'm playing some electro cumbia or like whatever and people are shazamming like it's not about me it's mm-hmm. about it's it's cool because it's like it, it's just helping enable uh, right. people to know about the artists um and then in terms of like producing music myself it's just a creative outlet for me yeah. you know like it's just it's fun fun way to like unwind and just you know sometimes you hear something for with an idea and you're like, oh, this would be cool to do. And you know, I've always been a by-ear musician. So, um, you know, I, I played viola as a kid, but I was terrible. Like, I was, oh, it was horrible. Like, I actually smashed my viola. Damn. Like, like, by accident. Like, I was getting, I told you I was a little punk kid. So, like, yeah, yeah. but this is, like, not a badass story at all. Like, I literally was, like, I was trying to tell my friend about, like, London Calling. Like, the Clash album. I was, like, where he's, like, smashing his guitar. And I was, like, I was, like, trying to, like act it out to him right after a concert and <laughs> I actually smashed my viola <laughs> and like in That's front true. of all Yo, of the your parents are probably oh like God, they what so the mad. fuck they were furious uh, like, <laughs> like no, that, was, that was that was the, that was the end of my orchestra yeah blame Spin right uh, that was, that was, Yo, what did your friend do <laughs> right? your friend that, that was, was like yo yo actually you just broke that actually, shit like, it's actually it's actually <laughs> kind of hilarious this, this friend is uh, my friend Micah who's like one of my best friends on earth but he actually like so it was right after the orchestra concert so like old, you know, it's like punch and like cookies time. So like all like the kids and all the families and the teachers and then like silence and everyone's just looking. At me. You just smashed I just your smashed viola. my viola. It was by accident, <laughs> I swear. But like, and my friend Micah, he just picked it up and ran out the door with it. Yo, that's so, a homie. That's a real homie. homie. Like, yeah. what a homie do? <laughs> yeah, like, he like a- ran out the door. And so then it, it, everyone got confused and they just <laughs> resumed, like they resumed. Yeah, back <laughs> to the punch. Yeah, right, back to the punch. Of course, like that did not save me from my parents later. Yeah. But but like, I was like, and to this day I asked him, he was like, it was the right thing to do. You know? That's dope. It's a That's real awesome. friend. It's a true friend. Um, and he was, he was actually a guitarist in my band and uh, nice. played a little nice. electric violin. But, oh, but yeah. yeah, as I mentioned, like I, so that was the end of my like ignominious end of my like uh, viola career. But I've never, I've always been a by-ear musician. So to me, like, I'd hear melodies because I listen to so much music. Like I'll hear a melody or I'll hear something in my head. I can't tell you what notes they are. Like I, I even like stuff I've produced like that that's out. Like I still can't tell you what notes they are. Um, I mean, I can if I like go and look them I up. I mean, I've like, seen oh, a okay, lot of producers, the- you know, hum something and then play each and you let um, note on mm-hmm. the keyboard just to, to find see the what keyboard. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used to have to do it like that. But now with um, a few years ago, actually, is when I started Ableton 9, Ableton Live. Um, which is what I produce in, they have this audio to MIDI function. So you can actually, um, you can sing into or hum into the computer and it'll actually find the notes and put Damn. them like a line. So I'll be like, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. and then like it'll actually put it and you need to like you need to fix it Change and like it doesn't sound bit. perfect but right, it gives right. you something to work with right. versus like and it's like, 10 times faster than like uh, 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 like trying to find it right, you know? right, right. Mm-hmm. so it, it's cool like um you know i don't i don't it's and like, like you like you said look it's it's uh it's something i do in my free time when i can you know mm-hmm. um and uh it's it's uh it's it's 
it's kind of like, a, as I said, like a creative outlet. So like, it, you know, for me, it's a kind of about compartmentalizing. Like I'll be like, all right, like this weekend I want to decompress. You mm-hmm. know, maybe, maybe last weekend I was, you know, we were throwing Billboard Dance 100 event in Miami or like we're, you know, doing the spin rebrand or whatever. And I'm like, all right, I have like a weekend home in Brooklyn. Right. I'm just going to like relax a bit and just like make some music. And it's just like, it's very, re- it's like very like relaxing for me. It's therapeutic. Totally. So, totally. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll we'll say what these hot takes are. But we rapid, talk, we rapid talked fire. about. Oh boy! Rapid oh, fire. Yeah, yeah. oh boy! True, false. Thirty seconds. Why or why not? Okay. Journalism doesn't have as much power as it used to at all. It's all playlisting, sort of. Disagree. And yeah, I think, like I said, um, journalism still has a ton of power. Uh, I think that it's it's more necessary than ever to cut through the noise. And I think that as as we mentioned, like journalism can be the difference, and storytelling can be the difference between simply like gaining a gaining a play or a stream on a song and actually converting a fan. Right. Hell yeah. All right. Next one. Video and audio are replacing write, writing, making it obsolete. Definitely not making it obsolete. I do think that uh, whereas everything was written back in the day, there are certain things that are there are certain things that are now being better told through video. And but I don't think that that's a, a knock on writing. I think that there are certain there are certain things that make there are certain stories and there are certain um, there are certain uh, like pieces of content that make more sense in video form, right, mm-hmm. than they do written out. But that's that doesn't mean that a video is going to be able to replace like a re- you know, really well written feature or a really well researched and and argued um, you know uh, essay or the like. I I don't I don't think it's replacing it in this or, or rendering it obsolete. But I think that. Um, it, it's uh, it's 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 creating a, a situation where um, uh, content creators need to be really intentional about which platform they're going to use. Mm-hmm. Kind of expanding the options, yeah, yeah, the universe a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. and I mean, obviously, there are certain financial realities about like CPMs and monetization of of you know like ads on on site versus video. Um, but at the on the on the core, like great writing will never be replaced. Yeah, right? for sure. Awesome. Any last ones? Oh, man, that's it. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much, man. Thank it's you so been much for coming out, dude. Good, good to be here. Man. Yeah, yeah. Good to it's be great here. Great to have you. Yeah, awesome. thank you, guys. All right, guys. Till next time. time. Oh, you about to say at the same time as <laughs> Jinx, <me>. bro. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. We out. Damn. That episode was fire. No, man. For real, though. For real. It was super great talking to Matt. And he's a friend, you know? So, obviously, there's... There's a rapport there between us and there's chemistry between us. So we were really able to get great information out of him because of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm super excited to see the direction he takes spin in. I think uh, it's obviously a big role, a lot of responsibility. And I think just having him talk about kind of the ethos and the, the types of artists and stories he wants to tell, uh, super inspiring. And then also just to see the continued traction on his his music career as an artist and producer. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens on both fronts. I definitely learned a lot when it comes to getting press, partnering with media, um, what makes for great stories, for great narratives, all that sort of stuff was incredible in this episode. Yeah, we got some some good metaphors too in there. So yeah, for <laughs> sure. Into those, Man, as a way with yeah. words. Yeah, um, well, as always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. We're now live on Instagram at Music Business Podcast. So follow us, shoot us a message, shoot us a question. We really love hearing all the feedback and and the ideas that you guys have around how we can constantly make the show better. Um, so until next time. We out. All right, guys.